Hiya, my name is Anna Quigley and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast by Citywide Drugs Crisis Campaign, Untold Stories. Citywide is a network of community organisations across the country, really, that are responding to the impact of drugs in our communities for the last 25 years now. This is a really important time for us in looking at the drugs issue. First of all, because we're finally recognising that the way we approach the drugs issue in Ireland is not working. And we have the Citizens' Assembly set up now by the government to look at how we should change the way we're responding. And obviously we've got the 99 members of the Assembly who are working away, doing really good work in there. But for us, it's really, really important that we're all part of this discussion, that we're all part of this conversation, because this issue, the drugs issue, it affects us all. So on this podcast, you're going to hear from people. They're all people who are active in their communities as a result of their own direct experience around drugs. And that could be that they use drugs themselves, it could be a family member used drugs, or it could be just because they've seen the impact overall that drugs have in their community. And they're all people who want to bring about change as a result of their own experience. So we think these are really important stories. We'd like to really thank the people who are telling us these stories. And the stories that you hear on this podcast, they will be anonymous And that's because the current policy that we have, unfortunately, shame, blame, stigma and criminalisation are all part of that policy. So you'll understand that this can be difficult for people to be identified. So as Anna explained there, all the guests we have are anonymous and that's to keep everybody protected in telling their stories and so that other people feel comfortable coming forward and also sharing their stories. So... Tell me about your work experience and your life, I suppose. If someone said to me years and years ago that I'd, I'd basically spend my life because I'm almost 30 years now working in addiction, I just wouldn't have believed it. But yes, when I started working in it, I felt this huge connection with it. It wasn't my story. I had no exposure to addiction. The community that I grew up in in the Midlands, there was no serious drug use. Even though looking back on it, I remember a, a, a kid who was a year older than me in the mid-80s who died from sniffing inhalants. So even then there was actually the progression of a drugs issue. And again, in the town where I was from um, in the late 80s, a factory opened which required a number of people to travel from mainland Europe to train the employees up. And a member of the Garda drug squad in the area was to tell me years later, because he knew I worked in addiction, that that was the introduction of hash to the community, that they brought it over with them. And again, like looking back, I would have heard of cannabis related court cases in the local court. And basically, you know, the judge would always give the individual the option of bring your passport or bring your toothbrush. So basically, you're going to prison or you can leave the country. Yes, You're being excluded. You're now excluded from the community regardless. Yeah, that's it. I would even use a stronger word of excluded. It's get out, as you said. That's what it is. And, uh, you know, rather than excluded, like exiled, it's almost like what did historically we do the people who perhaps you could call them nonconformists or didn't take the, the path most chosen. Um, was hide them away, get them out. There's something wrong with you. And and that was to continue. And like, you know, an individual who I'm aware of, and he took the, the passport route and he died 
on a, a building site in, in London. And he was a year younger than me. And that's over 30 years ago. So he was only a very young man. And that's how we dealt with it. And I'm sure other communities across the country were like that because as they've seen it, we don't want this to be like Dublin. Because again, on the back of the media reporting of the drug issue and addiction, they did not want that in their communities. So it was send them into exile or else imprison them. So you went from that experience then up to Dublin, working in really the absolute centre of Mm. the kind of you know, the response to an epidemic at the time. Yeah, we at that stage, we probably would have been in the third epidemic, the epidemic um, by the mid-90s when I started working in it. But in a way, even though the drugs had always been the number one issue at community level, it wasn't at state level. And I found myself in a situation with this incredible energy going on of at last community was getting their voice heard in partnership with the state bodies. And that's something that they'd looked for for the previous almost 20 years now. With the changing nature of political will, yes, that had been, you know, throughout the heroin epidemics from the late 70s of Northern Ireland and the economy, by the mid to late 90s, they were in a sense becoming addressed and suddenly gangland became, it wasn't even addiction. It was gangland that became front page news. And it was almost like, yeah, the drugs is the issue, but hold on, there's a bigger issue that we can tabletize, that we can sensationalize here. But when you had the rabbit reports, the formation of the drug strategy, formation of local drugs task forces and all this, and that partnership approach, that suddenly this brilliant energy was there. And the community were no longer banging their heads against the wall, that now we were at equal participation and where we could address the underlying issues to addiction. It wasn't just, right, let's get every heroin addict in Dublin onto methadone. It was much more complex than that. I don't think that the state realised that at the time or wanted to, even though every study that had been done previously had all alluded to this, but they were all shelved. But yeah, I came in, an awful thing to say, but like at the right time. And certainly that's what connected me to this work, that here was an opportunity to bring about change. And that was something I was always interested in, that that injustice, social exclusion, poverty, to bring about social change in that. Um, and make things at some level better. So you're coming from outside of Dublin. You have three decades of experience of what's worked, what hasn't worked, what should be done, what could be done, why it's not been done, because you have such an analysis um, and a really wide structural analysis of it. When you look at outside of Dublin, so let's say, you know, the areas that you're from, the Midlands and rural towns, basically, you talked about basically a policy of sending people away. And has that changed much? Have they learned from our mistakes outside of Dublin? Very sadly, I remember saying to people at, say, seminars and meetings in Dublin, the situation outside of Dublin is what is reminiscent of Dublin in the late 70s, early 80s. That this issue is being ignored. It's not being responded to. It's as if 
Dublin never happened. It's as if the, the three opiate epidemics never happened. And even though there was the formation of regional drugs task forces and other bodies like that, I didn't see the community approach to highlight this as it was in Dublin. And even though I wasn't there, say, in the 80s, when community started to to seek to address this, but certainly looking back and, and from meeting people who were involved at that stage, I certainly, unfortunately, didn't see that down the country. And I would have talked with others from around the country as well, and they would have said something similar. And even though, like, you know, parents, again, trying to get their children at some level treated but they had unfortunately and and I feel really bad saying this because it's it's a tad unfair on them right but get them off drugs they have to be off that right that that was the be all and end all not what's wrong with them why are they using drugs no no. and it was a very short-sighted narrow view of, of the issue Right. And again, I'm, I'm not criticising them. I hope that doesn't come across like that. But working with some of the parents at the time, because they would have known what I'm working on in Dublin and trying to broaden their awareness of this. They seemed very close off. And whereas I think another huge disadvantage that whereas in Dublin you had identified areas of whole flat complexes. Yes. Yeah. And estates and all of this. It seemed to me, and certainly looking back at my own community's history, that it initially was families, certain families, which perhaps would have always been identified as, you know, uh, families with issues or, you know, it's not our family, it's not on our street, it's them, sure, what do you expect? That's what I see. It doesn't feel like a collective issue that everybody needs to get involved exactly, in. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That it wasn't, say, your specific housing estates in a town, be it a larger town or a smaller town. But again, you know, you look at the progression of how this thing moved. And now we're at that situation, certainly in the major towns. And how have we got there? What happened? How did that develop, do you think? Domino effect. Not that there's this gateway that at 15 you're smoking hash or whatever, and then you'll be on heroin at 21. But gradually, more and more got, in a sense, coerced into that circle. At the end of the day, the majority of people who take drugs today in Ireland take them and enjoy them and have a great time and that's it. But it's that small number, that minority, that journey along that trajectory from experimentation to abuse and addiction. And they're two very, very different things. And of course, no one experiments with a drug wanting to become a problem user or an addict that they always feel they're above that but that's not how this works in some cases and the drugs become more available outside of Dublin then you know yeah. yeah and if I move back down there about 2004-2005 and get the county paper right um, of a Wednesday or Thursday and whereas in the past the court cases a lot of them were around alcohol suddenly heroin is now in there. So we've had heroin in our community anyway for over 20, for about 20 years now. And I would connect that with, say, the improvement of the infrastructure around the country and setting up new supply chains. I think that the opening of the Midlands prison 
in Port Leash a number of years ago. A lot of people would say that that certainly affected the area in a very detrimental way. You know, where you have some people say selling to cover their own habit, well, they're not going to try and entice people in. And certainly from knowing some of the guys involved, that's how they got into it. And I think that whereas now, certainly, as I said, you would have the larger urban centres, say county towns, that you now see the estates that that's now happening in. And were these estates built, say, after the Celtic Tiger or during Some of them would have been beforehand, but certainly those afterwards and certainly identifying my own community in this, that it wasn't a town. It was a large housing estate. No social planning, no amenities, no nothing like that. And this is how it was sold. So when the bust then happened in 08, that suddenly investors uh, who could no longer pay the mortgages and whatnot, those houses in a lot of cases were bought by NAMA. And then some of which, because I've looked into this, certainly in the four counties of the Midlands, and a lot of them were then sold back to the county councils. And now, and this is just similar to Dublin Corporation's policy in the 70s and 80s, which certainly community people will shout from the rooftops of that policy of dumping. And certainly that's what I see happening in my own community. That, uh, so people who are already maybe living in poverty, maybe already disadvantaged, may need support, yeah. being placed into housing estates with very little support. That seems like such a clear example of why are we not learning from Dublin? Like even just the planning process, we know what happens when we do this. See, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the people who are involved at looking at addressing this perhaps don't have that awareness or insight or experience. So they're, they're not bringing that to the policy table. You know, you have to look at, at these bodies who are overseeing policy. What is their agenda? And again, are we seeing their strategies or policies affecting the lives of those caught up in drug use or drug addiction? Because they're two very separate things. And unfortunately, that's very questionable right now. What is the experience of somebody struggling with their drug use? So would consider themselves, you know, in addiction, needs help, is asking for help and they live in a rural town. Try to explain to people listening like what that experience might be like. Are there services available? Say in any of the communities in Dublin, say in the 90s or in the 80s, right? Well, certainly in the 90s, you would have known where you could have gone and and engaged. They're visible. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't. I don't see that. Yeah. Right. Now, certain organisations will tell you that we have a presence in counties and this, that and the other. I've asked people who are involved in addiction and they're not seeing that. Yeah. And that's, I hope, that, again, that doesn't come across critical, but they're not on the ground. And again, I'll actually support them in this, that like, whereas again in communities in Dublin, they're very closely knit. Yeah. And it would be like, almost like, if you were based in Darndale, yeah. right? And you were looking to support someone in Killinarden. Yeah. Right? And yet the travel, you could do the travelling. If you're in one county town, but a, ser- a support service is based 20, 30 miles away, you know, That's already how are you going to get to them? Yeah. yeah. For those that are caught up, and it's specifically really about heroin use that we're talking about here, because the chance of someone with a cocaine problem looking to get support, no doubt it has happened, 
but there's no medical intervention involved. There's no medical treatment or medical supervision. But at the moment, and I've looked into this and I couldn't believe it because this actually made me really angry. Because again, being worked in services up here for years and initially like um, around the time of the methadone protocol, when there was waiting lists, but nothing towards the 12 month plus that was stated to me um, last week. For, so this is for somebody outside Dublin looking to access a methadone programme? In, in the area in the Midlands where I'm from, that's what I was told. I think most people listening, I think anybody here in a 12 month wait list knows how ridiculous that is. But maybe just explain to people what that means to that person and what's likely to happen. Rejection, further isolation, in a sense, another sense of exile. Exile into your own community within a community. And that, again, at that, for someone to reach out, well, then they realise, OK, I need to be treated at some level here. If that's not forthcoming, well, then I'm going to treat myself. And it is long beyond the experience of getting any euphoria or any positive experience from the drug, because that's what they all get initially, and yeah. absolutely everyone gives you that. But by this stage, it is literally self-medicating. You will be sick, if, for people who don't know. Yeah. Your body will literally start to become really ill and really yeah. sick. It's Yeah. And... What we've experienced ourselves recently is two deaths in the very, very recent past of two young mothers who both overdosed. There was no mention of that in the local press. I didn't see anything about services being focused on the area. I didn't hear anything like that. If we had something like that in any area in Dublin, right, that in the, in the one week, two young mothers overdosed and died through heroin use, there would be forums, seminars. This would be looked at. This would yeah. be highlighted. The st- statistics show that from a person initially experimenting with a drug until they reach out for support takes about seven years. And chances are, to a huge degree, this individual has been rejected by society, be it through education, employment, housing, right? And here's just another uh, example of it. And this wasn't. And again, it goes back, right, this is hidden. We don't want to, for whatever reason, and there's nothing like the media to sensationalise an issue, but it wasn't covered at any level. And you'd, you'd think that in a rural town, this would be so much rarer than in Dublin. You'd think because of that, it would have been a story. It would have been. When you talk about the response in Dublin in the 80s and the 90s, it came from fear. It came from fear and care for family members and community members. Why is that not happening in in rural towns? And I don't mean the care. Mm. Is the fear there, but people's response is different? It's a really good question. And... I'm not saying I have the answer to it, but what it reminds me of is it's like, say, back up until, say, even the 80s, that if there was a family member who had a drink issue and every so often it got too far or whatever, that the priest or the doctor would come knocking on the door and go, right, come on, it's time to go off for a couple of weeks. And it'd be off to the local psychiatric unit to dry out. It's almost like that. Let's hide it. Let's put them away for a period, let them get fixed, because there was always this perception that he'll be fixed when he comes out. And that, let's move on. Keep it all quiet, like, you know, that whole, what is it, the squinting windows? And I think there's the hypocrisy of 
drug use versus addiction and the specific drugs that are being used. The very same people who were given out about individuals on heroin or saying, oh, what do you expect to come from that family? There's a very, very strong possibility, and I know it is, that those individuals, they're, you know, teenage kids are doing weed. The amount of weed being smoked by post-primary school children in most towns is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Will schools have proper drug education? No, they'll bring the guard in with the, bo- with the, the bag of drugs. That doesn't work. A culture of silence, as it really sounds like. And I'm not saying this doesn't happen in Dublin. Of course it does. But outside of Dublin, maybe because it's smaller towns, there is also, you know, people know each other on a level and that maybe doesn't happen in certainly the, the cities, not necessarily small towns. Is there a sense of your family name being really important and, and judgment towards if anybody finds out someone in your family is struggling that? Is the level of shame and judgment different? or is Possibly it just, because it's more insular right that there perhaps is that guilt and shame and it's not as if as Irish people we haven't been moulded by guilt and shame our whole lives right but I think that there's a further stigma when it's drugs that if it was alcohol well then that would be more almost like you know socially acceptable but when it's drugs and especially heroin that hierarchy that, well, that's not my family, so I want, I'm not going to identify with that or connect with that. You've even seen it in the schools like that. If you look to do any kind of progressive drug talk in any of the schools, that's not looked upon positively. Let's get the guards in, let's show them the drugs, let's frighten the shite out of them. That doesn't work, but that's the strategy that continues to follow on from that point about the two young girls a few days after that happened the front page of the local paper carried a story about a child finding a syringe in a sports field and not making the connection and didn't reference. nothing was made but that was oh this poor child and don't get me wrong she's yeah. horrendous for the parents or whatever but that's what made the front page of the county paper so I think that's where we're at and I would have to question people's kind of social connection with social issues. And we don't kind of have that. We accept, that, say, the bin charges. We accept giving her, having to give our children money to go to school to pay for A, B and C. Like when I was a kid, my man and dad didn't have the money to send me on my school tour. Now it's almost like you're sending your kid to private school because of what you have to give, because of underfunding. But I think that there's certainly... We don't have that history um, or very little of kind of social movements, social awareness. I would say the county I'm from is a very conservative county. And there was one of the most infamous institutions in our county. When we were kids, if we were bold, that's what was threatened. And everyone knew. Like my granny always told me a story of she used to hate seeing the mothers and the children coming from Dublin because they get off the bus in the town and have to walk a considerable distance to visit their son, their brother in this institution. And, you know, there's even a silence about it. Like everyone knows it's infamous, but no one talks about it. At the time, like if a child escaped, there was literally lockdown 
for miles around until that child was found. Do you think that can do something to a place? So that culture of silence that starts because of one thing yes. can just kind of feed into it's a yeah. habit then. It's we yeah. don't talk about these things. I really believe that I think the church has a part in that. Yeah. Um that, you know, the family is in charge of the family, not the state. That there's very little kind of mapping and connecting issues to then come to what is being put out there, you know? And like heroin is not the issue. It's a symptom of the issue. But I think we don't have, certainly from my experience of working with groups and various bodies, that a lot of them didn't want to know this. What happens when you raise this? Because, you know, you're still living in your own community and you're raising things that realistically it's uncomfortable for people to well, hear. The first thing I think about is that a number of years ago there was a, a large banner put across the street around the dial stop drug using to stop drug dealing. And I remember going out to watch football on the Sunday and literally a number of people stopped me and went when are you getting that fucking banner taken down? And just to let people know this was a national campaign yes. that was around the country yeah. you know it was you could you could dial in and, and report yeah. somebody selling drugs but people just assumed It that was you, me and I didn't yeah. know what to do because yeah. it was actually something I didn't agree with because I didn't see yeah. to me it was a talk and gesture. I was connected with that in the public's eye and a number of people like you know and it wasn't nice what has been said so there's an anger sometimes directed at you because it's like stop talking about this Shut why up. do you keep yeah. yeah you're you're making the town seem yeah. bad you're giving us a bad name and yeah. yeah and again this is when you know it was during the boom everyone had this false sense of extreme positivity and feeding into the government lie of you know we've never had it so good in the bar- the dark days are gone you know, how dare you bring in something like this um, to highlight what is not happening to me or my family or anybody on my street. As you're talking, I'm like, it's it's nothing new. It, it's trying to bring into the light what's already in the shadows. Yeah. 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 Because you know it's happening and because it must be so frustrating having seen it in Dublin, knowing it doesn't have to be yeah. that way and you don't have to make the same mistakes in rural Ireland. Yeah. Why do you do what you do? I'm just as passionate today as I was about it. 30 years ago. I really am. And even though I've worked quite a lot of years where I am, it's like that every couple of years, a dramatic change happens within the drug scene. And like the main opiates I would work with today is females abusing sulfidine and Eurofin Plus. Yeah. It's not heroin. Younger people, absolutely cocaine, alcohol, weed, tablets, um, ketamine is certainly increasing. Um, and then say within, there's another community I've, I've started really working with, which brought me back to that same passion as before that here's something very new. And that's within the LGBTI community and addressing, again, the vast complex underlying issues prevalent to that community. Yeah. But again, that really respond to working class communities. Like these are two communities with a, with a history of criminalisation. Yeah. That if you were to take drugs back in the day, you were certainly going to Mount Jai. That was it. Yeah. There was no, um, you're on, you're getting a suspended sentence or all anything like that. If you presented to the courts with a drug related case, you were going to Mount Jai. The LGBTI community were criminalised up until, what is it, 30 years ago now? Yeah. 1993. Yeah. Two communities socially excluded. Yeah. 
um, and social injustice heaped upon both communities. So even though, you know, there's a very different demographic, but they have so many things in common. And, and again, intertwined, like yeah, most things, there's an intersection higher, then you have. Yes, yeah. higher levels of substance misuse and abuse yeah. and dependency, higher levels of mental health issues between the two communities um, towards the general population. So the change in nature of the drug scene and drugs have never been as available, affordable and accessible as they are today. Uh, and the range of drugs that are there. And that's nearly three decades. So you're doing this work three decades. And yeah. You're talking about the energy that was there at the time. What's it been like over the decades when that energy or that will isn't there and you feel like we, we know all of this, the evidence is there. Why are we still doing the same thing over and over again? In Dublin, even. I think one of the kind of agendas I bring to this is that I always try to look at things as broadly as possible. And even though, like, one of the programmes I would have been involved in, that uh, when I started working, say, in the mid-90s, that the numbers on that programme are very high and new participants onto that programme were quite high. And by, say, the early part of this century, those numbers were certainly slowing down. So you would think, right, well, listen, maybe we have this area of of drug use and addiction properly responded to. And probably ministers would turn around and say that and agree with that. But when you again look at the broader sense of things, the changes in the economic circumstances in the country, the, the changes in education, the education with regeneration of communities and new drugs becoming more prevalent, new options for people, right? That like someone present them with cocaine issues, you don't put them forward for a methadone programme. So even though, say, those coming on to the methadone programme may be in reducing, but that does not mean that the numbers coming to engage your service are reducing. Yeah, that keeps you yeah. invested and invigorated and, yeah. you know, constantly responding to the emerging trends. So to finish, before we, I ask you what people can take away from this, what needs to change? What could change tomorrow? What do we hope the Citizens' Assembly might lead to? What would actually change, most importantly, the experience of people who reach out for help? That they know that there's something there for them that's going to catch them. Because when you reach out for something, if you don't touch it, if it's not there, well, then where are you going to go? And one of the things I've learned is when someone is in that area of addiction, of that trauma, of that pain, that that's huge isolation and guilt, shame, blame. And if those supports aren't there, well, then that just heaps upon them that another layer of that. And you just self-medicate again. And unfortunately, I see many more situations like we had recently. Right. And and that's not right. It's not as if heroin addiction hit Dublin last weekend. And suddenly on Thursday, we've two unfortunate overdoses in in the Midlands that we have something to learn from. It's about those people who are at policy level understanding and learning from what worked and what didn't work. Because if it's not addressed now, it is only going to get worse. And I always used to say, like, you know, outside of Dublin, it's like what Dublin was in the, in the early 80s. But it, looking at it now, it wasn't really because the communities themselves were very different. And whereas Dublin, and it, it, listen, it took 20 years, 
But Dublin had that advantage of identified communities where a community where the people came together to respond to this. Unfortunately, we don't have that. But the way things are going, certainly in the major towns, that those areas are now being identified. But that how long is that going to take to trickle down? But certainly it is my hope that whatever comes out of the Citizens' Assembly will trickle down to those at policy level to address this issue and that it, it is addressed because drugs progress, the scene progresses and people are being affected. So we're already now into the second generation being affected by drug use. We don't want it to be a third generation. And what can, to end on this, what can people listening from rural Ireland do to be a part of this change? What's the one thing that you want people to really take away from this? There are numerous community development associations or community platforms. You know, highlight the issue with them. Highlight the issue with your elected officials. We're coming into election time, right? And highlight it with those individuals. And go, well, what is your policy around um, addiction? Where are you on, on funding local drugs task forces and drugs projects. Where are you around early school leaving programmes? These are the areas that need support. And it's not all about funding. It is my hope that people will get employed. But again, looking at the Dublin situation and the numbers of jobs that are available across the community sector is frightening. And that's because they are not being properly salaried. And that, again, is going to have a triple down effect within communities. And we can't have that down the country. You can't have it in Dublin. Yeah. You know, it's not the answer to incarcerate people. And that seems to be the kind of policy. And I would have sat on policing forums, whereas on all, everything's OK, the three or four main guys, they're in prison. Just because they're in prison doesn't mean someone doesn't take over. And again, there is money to be made. It will entice people, yeah. be it to be involved in the criminality of it, the selling of it. We now see the drug debts and intimidation that's been going on a long time. The blueprint was there from Dublin and we need to look at that yeah. and respond accordingly. Unfortunately, I don't hold out much hope. Well, that message of people using their voice, I think, is the most important thing we can end on. Because if you're listening to this and you now know this story, if you didn't before... You can share it. You can tell other people. You can go and research. You can read, you know, there's so much information out there. So please share the podcast. Please have these conversations. Please speak to your local reps. Please do everything that you've just heard because there's so many different ways for people to get involved and be a part of change. And most of all, thank you for sharing your story with us today. I'm sure I speak for everybody listening to say that it's been really impactful. And thanks to everybody listening at home. This has been an episode of Untold Stories, an Alfonso film production on behalf of Citywide Drugs Crisis Campaign. Hosted and produced by me, Claire O'Connor, working with Anna Quigley of Citywide. Graphic design by Ben Clancy. Sound editing by Kieran O'Connor. We want to have these conversations out in the open where they should be had. We want to work towards ending shame, blame, stigma and criminalisation. And we really believe that these conversations are a part of that. So if you haven't, please go and listen to the other four episodes in this series. Share the podcast, talk to your friends, have these conversations and thanks for listening.